Welcome back to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. This is your host, Stu Jenkins. We are talking with James Blattler, who is the emergency manager for the city of San Luis Obispo, and we're talking about devastating emergencies and how to prepare for them and what the city is doing to prepare for them. Um, James, we had, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a guest on who owns a... uh, 12,800 square foot underground bomb shelter talking about his bomb shelter and of course he was talking about how it was a ideal place to ride out a wildfire in or obviously a nuclear emergency um, and uh, you know these these are tough times worldwide we have uh, a number of nuclear powered uh, nations who are in conflict with each other uh, you know, we're not doing anything like that. I don't think we're uh, likely to be attacked by the Russians or the Chinese. But uh, there might be, if India and Pakistan go to each other, for instance, we might have uh, a period of fallout. Um, I know where there's a bomb shelter at the county uh, courthouse. Uh, are there other shelters around that people could take shelter in uh, in the city if uh, there was a nuclear accident at PG&E's Diablo Canyon or if there was a a period of radiation coming? Is that something you folks are preparing for as a potential emergency? So I do not, I could not tell you for certain uh, other Mm -hmm. uh, bomb shelters other than uh, what you had mentioned. Um, But, you know, we really prepare for all emergencies. And what we do is we have uh, what's called a a hazard mitigation plan. And this is a a plan that helps us identify hazards. We do what's called a threat hazard identification and analysis. Mm -hmm. And uh, we take a look at what the potential natural hazards are or uh, human-made hazards. And, and we look at the likelihood, the severity, and, and based on that, that kind of helps us prioritize a little bit of, of our actions. But, you know, talking about Ukraine, uh, one thing that really stood out, um, one of the many things that stood out in, uh, during the horrible moments when that all started, um, uh, was that there were some cities where bombs were literally going off, yeah. and you had city workers staffing buses. And... Uh, what I see there is that you've got a municipality, a city, that is intent on continuity of service, of essential services. And clearly they saw a need for transportation of their citizens. And so that's part of what we do for planning on whatever that emergency is, is making sure the city has the ability to provide those essential services on a continual basis. And of course, that is a challenge. You're going to want to listen to our next week's show because we're going to have uh, one of the uh, uh, volunteer women who went from here to Ukraine and she has been rescuing children from combat zones for the last 18 months. Um, And she's here in San Luis. Um, But the, the, I guess that gives me a, a question to ask you if if uh, suddenly there was uh, an emergency well let's say the Laguna Lake area floods again mm-hmm. uh, is the city prepared to get the uh, the buses uh, over to Laguna Lake via say uh, Foothill Boulevard to evacuate people to 
higher ground? Yeah, if there is a need to evacuate, we're going to leverage the resources we have to be able to affect that. So that, pl- that, that plan is in place. So yeah, we do have, I wouldn't say that we have a written exactly procedure for that because the thing that's interesting about evacuations is that it's so dynamic. Like you mentioned with Diablo Canyon, that's uh, a little bit more of a static where you know the threat, you know you have to get people out of there um, you don't really drive across a hazard other than the potential plume that's coming. Right. Um, however, it's it's a, a much more systematic uh, approach. However, with a wildfire or a flood or something that's really sudden that occurs, it's uh, it's hard to have a written plan for each of those scenarios because in those cases you could have. Um, one of the ways, both of the ways blocked, you know, Laguna Lake, potentially, maybe there's no way to get out on the streets. And you have to take a look at how do we get boats Mm -hmm. across Laguna Lake and get people out that way. Um, And so we have the ability to do that and accomplish those goals as as they come up. And what's really important in the planning is identifying the areas where we know might be more challenging to evacuate. So part of that is uh, maybe neighborhoods that have one way in, one way out, and identifying those neighborhoods so that way you can have contingency plans. Okay. The, uh, some of the other disasters that uh, a city like San Luis Obispo might face besides fire, um, high heat events, um, uh, they're, you know, being on the Central Coast, Hardly anybody has air conditioning. Right. Um, so does the city have a contingency plan if we suddenly had, uh, you know, three weeks of 110, 115 weather? Yeah, so we have within our emergency operations plan a annex that's specific to adverse weather. And so that can include anything from storms or severe heat. Um, and that allows us to be able to have an operational plan to respond to help meet the challenges of that incident. And, and so, how would the city meet that challenge? So with the challenge of a heat of a heat emergency uh-huh. is, you know, to be able to first take a look at the information, collect the information that's relevant to the situation. So how long is this heat going to be sustained for? Is there any relief overnight? Is it going to stay hot overnight? Are people's homes going allowed to cool off in the middle of the night, or is it going to be staying hot? And so what's really cool about that portion is that the National Weather Service has developed new prototypes and tools for not just temperature, but heat risk. And so they have categories for heat risk, um, which is really important because 105 degrees in San Luis Obispo is a whole lot different than 105 degrees in Paso Robles, especially if you're a resident, like you said, you could have air conditioning and you're more climatized uh, to that Mm -hmm. level of heat. And so that heat risk map allows us to be able to take a look at it and see how long sustained impacts can be locally. And so a lot of those heat-related emergencies is a whole community effort to be able to meet that challenge. And that's reaching out and leveraging uh, some of our partners in the nonprofit world to help meet the needs of the more vulnerable populations that are susceptible to that heat. And so that could be faith-based organizations, you know, opening up churches and being able to bring people in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really identifying places for cooling shelters, which is a big effort in emergency management across the state. Do you have a list of those places? We do have maintain? lists, yeah. Okay. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, one of the areas that we can help, uh, um, 
you know, take a look at is if, you know, reaching out to our partners in the county, opening up the library, things like that. It's the daytime hours to be able to get out of that heat. And um, another big part is our partners over, you know, at Cap Slow and meeting the needs of our unhoused community members and opening up their doors and being able to provide a little bit of a cooler environment. And so it's working with those partners and being able to leverage those. We do need to do a better job at uh, making sure that in a moment's notice, these uh, partnerships can activate. Uh, What we saw in the storms is that uh, there's a number of locations that are identified and have pre-existing agreements with the uh, American Red Cross for evacuation shelters. However, just because a pre-existing agreement is there doesn't mean that organization is fully ready and able to quickly activate a shelter at their facility. They may have the space, but they haven't got the supplies of water. They haven't got the supplies of food. Right. And, or, and, or maybe there's a special event going on that they really don't want to now, now, uh, deter. Folks, you're listening to James Blattler here on Slow County Public Policy and the Law. He's the emergency manager for the city of San Luis Obispo. You know, James... Um, I'm much older than you are. So I've lived through some uh, things here in California. I've seen tornadoes. Uh, Not many, but occasionally they come. I Um, have too. uh, Are you prepared for a tornado to hit San Luis Obispo? So that would be one of those adverse weathers that we leverage our emergency operations plan. in terms of ready, we'd be ready to respond to the impacts. Mm-hmm. Yes, we would. Okay. And I've uh, had the uh, unique experience that all of the rest of California had of having about uh, four or five days where the entire grid fell apart and we did not have electrical power. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, this is a radio station. There's backup generators for the emergency broadcast system. Uh, does the city of San Luis Obispo have a plan if the grid collapses? We do. And actually, this is one of our more robust plans. Really? And a lot of that was uh, um, really derived out of the public safety power shutoff mm-hmm. um, events that uh, were authorized by the Public Utilities Commission for energy companies to proactively turn off, de-energize their lines, turn off the power right. um, in advance of severe fire weather. And so because of that, um, that could result in very long duration uh, disruptions in power. And there are a number of our community members that really rely on electricity, not just for comfort and ease, but for medical needs, whether it's um, medical durable devices that need power or it's medication that needs to be refrigerated. Well, thank you, James. We're coming up on a hard break. So stay tuned, folks. We're with James Blattler, the emergency manager of San Luis Obispo City. (laughs) 